0: Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the dog bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the cat bible, everything your cat expects you to know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October, alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. I was very interested that the smart people in England are looking at the issues that the smart people in the United States are looking at, which is why are so many dogs getting cancer? And the Morris Animal Foundation has a golden retriever lifetime study, which I think people have read about and know about. Thousands or hundreds of many, many golden retrievers are in the study, and they're looked at across their lifetime to see what ills befall them and perhaps why. But I was very interested to learn that a a pharmaceutical company, Boehringer Ingelheim Animal Health USA, has funded the veterinary companion animal surveillance system called VetCompass in the United Kingdom. And it's run by, or co-project leader, is a gentleman called David Broadbelt, epidemiologist And I want to know why David Broadbelt is not considered a doctor, because I'm sure you can't just be an average citizen and call yourself an epidemiologist. So I am thrilled to meet you, David, I think, Dr. Broadbelt, and find out what you're discovering if you've already begun your discovery process of what is befalling, I guess, Goldens, but so many other dogs as well. Can you first explain why you aren't called in England doctor, because in the U.S., a veterinarian who graduates from veterinary college is immediately called doctor. And I know that in England and the Royal Scotland Teaching Hospitals for Veterinarians, they aren't allowed to call themselves doctor, which is so funny to Americans. The minute we become a doctor, we're, we, we certainly flaunted at least getting a, a restaurant <laughs> reservation. So why why are you not called doctor?
1: Well, first of all, things have changed. And now we can call ourselves doctor. So oh, good. I guess that looks good for my dinner reservation. But <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, why am I not called doctor? Because, uh, well, and technically now I'm called a professor. But you could call me doctor, but you can call me David too.
0: Well, that's lovely. But is a professor in the in the British hierarchy of, let's say, intellectual scientists, is that higher than doctor? Can you not be a professor and a doctor?
1: Probably. Uh, probably. Probably. You've got me there. <laughs> And I won't get into that. Discussion. Okay, I just
0: think it's great that that we continue to be so different, our two, our two countries. But maybe our dogs aren't so different. So what do you see as differences or similarities in whether it's golden retrievers or just dogs in general and their health vis-a-vis cancer? Although your vet compass must be looking at more than just cancer, right?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess across – U.S., the U.K., uh, I mean, I think the dogs would be broadly similar, but there are differences in breed popularity. Yeah. You know? So, for example, um, golden retrievers, as, as I understand it, are actually one of the more popular breeds in the U.S. Right. Know? Whereas they are popular in the U.K., but not as popular. So Labradors would be a lot more popular than golden retrievers, for example.
0: Well, that's so, the same in the U.S. Labs are okay. always high up, and now – and I say this quite frankly, unfortunately, French Bulldogs and some other <laughs> um, more cutie pie dogs that unfortunately yeah. are now going to be mass produced in other countries as well as the U.S. in order to fill the need, a separate story, of course. A separate but story. But the, the Goldens have always been below the labs in the U.S. and have been okay. falling in popularity just because other breeds have pushed them down a bit. But they're certainly hmm. a very American, uh, you know, family kind of dog and They seem to have more cancer than many other breeds. Seems to be – it's interesting because the breeders in the U.S., the really responsible, serious ones, imported golden retrievers from the U.K. And so sometimes you will see breeders, good breeders, nothing like mass production or farmers of dogs, saying this is an English line. Because presumably there was one – I don't know – one male golden who was so beautiful, and everybody wanted his offspring and his offspring's offspring in the US. And that poor fellow passed on apparently genetic material that had cancer in it, whereas the UK goldens didn't have that? Is that is is that how you understand it? Or is that just anecdotal and not science at all?
1: Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes change is good. You know, so if you bring in a, a golden retriever, that's not related at all right. to the others. and That brings in more genetic variability, so that's good. Um, but certainly in the UK, uh, golden retrievers also get cancer. So it's, it's,
0: yeah. And do you, as far as you know, I know this is the Morris Animal Foundation's Golden Retriever Lifetime Study, mm. and your study, as I understand it, will use some of their info to come up with your conclusions. But there are other breeds very high, at least in the U.S., on the, oh, yikes, a lot of cancer, whether it's boxers, Rottweilers. Do you have that as well? Or because you have different breeds that have popularity, more just a, a different spectrum of breeds, or is that not an issue in the U.K.? Do people not think twice before getting a boxer or a Rottie? Because of cancer, to your knowledge, obviously you're not, yeah. the, you don't have your uh, I mean, on so. the pulse it, of buyers.
1: Yeah, I think um, people are aware of certain breeds are more likely to get certain cancers, and that uh, and that's the same here in the UK, and that is part of their decision-making when they think about a breed. Um, it's not Obviously, it's not the only thing, but right. one of the things, and as you say, certain breeds, boxers or whatever, are particularly prone to specific types of cancer. Um
0: All right. So so you're an epidemiologist, so you want to see what is driving various things, but in this case, illness. And some of the issues that seem to have already been looked at, but probably not in the way that you're going to look, which is very scholarly, one of them is delaying spaying and neutering. Is that something Mm -hmm. that is on your radar or is it very different in the UK? In the US, um, everybody, so to speak, everybody, was neutering and spaying at six months, and a lot of rescues were doing it pediatric, almost neonatal spay-neuter, which many doctors think is going to have some sad outcomes for their health at at eight weeks or ten weeks. And now there's agreement that especially the dogs at risk, the breeds at risk, should delay spay-neuter for at least a year and a half. And cancer being one of the main reasons a, a lower cancer risk is that something that you are going to be considering, or is it too hard to figure out from your perspective?
1: Well, I think it's an interesting question, an important question, as you say. Um, and it's I, the debate is not dis- complete yet, right. yeah, you because know? mm-hmm. obviously there are pros and cons both ways. If you, you neuter too early, then you may have problems, more problems with incontinence, for example, later in life, um, right. You know, versus and and do you neuter before the first season or second season, and how does that affect mammary cancer, for example? Right. You know, so, there are, so there are a lot of things, um, and it, it's it's not an easy one to completely address, but it's definitely one uh, we want to be looking at both in the Morris Animal Foundation data and the Golden Retriever study, and also uh, we'll continue to look at in Vet Compass dogs as well.
0: How about environmental? We, we, it's very hard to judge because one of the things that's mentioned is lifestyle related factors. So, in the U.S., we have I don't know if this is true again, sort of anecdotal, just a general sense that we have more chemicals in our water, in our food, in our food production. We're a very chemical ridden society. So there's a lot of like trying to backpedal, you know. How, what about forever chemicals in the water, in the in the soil, and therefore in the food ingredients? And is there a way of knowing whether how that is factoring into cancer in dogs? And is there less of the? Are there less of those chemicals in the UK? Have you kept more of a lid on using chemicals, uh, whether it's fertilizer or GMO products or whatever it may be? Is, are you aware of a difference, UK, USA, that way?
1: Um, I'm aware there's still a concern about it. Uh, as to saying, is it very different in the UK? Uh, I, I couldn't say specifically, but there's it is definitely something we're interested in. Some of those questions are really quite subtle, though. Yes. Tiny little yes. changes. Um, so it is harder to tease out, to, is there a real relationship problem there? Yeah. And but what I can think, you do, uh,
0: right? I mean, you live on land, your dog runs and sniffs on the land and the grass and the and you can't change the fact that it may be polluted. You can't know that you can do about it. There's, there's some no. things that humans can't do much about. It's like the horse already left the barn in a sense, right?
1: Yeah, I think there are some factors, fine, that you might identify as uh, risk factors for cancer that you can't do anything about. But then there are others that you can, if you know, if you said, and part of the excitement of the Morris Animal Foundation study in the Golden for Lifetime Project is, you can look at, well, are there sort of other lifestyle patterns that either increase or reduce the risk of cancer? And so some of those, maybe diet or exercise, could be things that we could address. if You know, if we identify problems in one area or other, so there's some you can do things about. I mean, uh, others are harder. But first thing is to identify them where you can, you know.
0: And certainly obesity. So you say diet and exercise, and there's some idea that by altering the diet and increasing the exercise, you'll have less fat dogs, because we know that obesity is now considered a disease, just like diabetes or kidney disease. And it's something that I imagine is also affecting British dogs, that we all overfeed our dogs or we feed them foods that make them fatter, depending on, the, I guess, the individual metabolism, and that's affected somewhat by ex, Not always, but usually by exercise. So obesity itself must be something that is kind of a, a blazing neon sign, no? Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, and it's a big problem everywhere. And certainly in yeah. the UK, it's a big problem for our dogs um, as a disease on its own, and, and also as a risk for other diseases, you know, um, so it is a concern.
0: And that's one that would certainly be on the list of you can do something about this. Yeah. Certainly. What about parasite, anti-parasite protection, topical mm. chemicals that are put on dogs to repel or kill fleas and ticks? Is that used widely or the collars or even the pills that some dogs, some veterinarians are having people's dogs ingest? basically yeah. toxic chemicals on or in the dog. Is that something that it's easy as an epidemiologist to look at, or is it just too much variation in how people deal with that, depending on where they live?
1: Um, I mean, for example, looking at how much uh, use of a anti-flea, anti-tick preparation, that is something that's in the Morris Animal the Foundation data. Oh, so it would be something, you know, so it would be interested to look at. It is, again, difficult it's always have to be careful to say, well, is it this factor or is right. it something else that's related to it? Yeah, so it have to be careful, but it's certainly something of interest um, to explore. If, if if we're overusing them, is there an increased risk or not, for example? They're very useful products, don't get yes, me wrong. Yes, sure. You know, we, we would have a lot more fleas and ticks if we didn't have them. So they are very useful, but it's looking
0: to see what are the downsides
1: as well as the upside
0: and are there different ways of using them use less or use ones that are more perhaps naturalistic so this money from boehringer ingelheim is going to support the hiring it says in the press release of a new canine cancer epidemiologist at the royal veterinary college um in london now would that be you or somebody else
1: no, that's someone else. So it's an exciting position, and it's we're grateful to Boehringer and also to Morris who are yes. funding the overall study. Um, and so the idea is this new position, which we will start in December, is uh, an epidemiologist focusing on canine cancer, and and they will be overseeing the work in in the Golden Retriever Lifestyle, lifetime study as well as overseeing cancer uh, epidemiology in the uh, vet compass data so so coordinate all of that
0: so that is a that's going to be a very interesting challenging demanding and rewarding job for somebody mm. to take that job mm-hmm. i imagine so when you when you studied to be an epidemiologist and now you're a professor teaching others were you were you veterinary based or just generally any living creature in epidemiology no including veterinary humans? So-
1: yeah, so no. So I'm a vet, and I worked in small animal companion animal practice. Um, so that would that's where my area of interest is, dog and cat epidemiology. Nice. Yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah. And you must be glad that cats, although they have a lot of viral diseases, that they don't have much cancer. So that must be a relief. You can at least focus on one of the two species of your special Well, specialty. I
1: mean, they still have cancer too. But, of course. Um, yeah, Not but here, much. this specific project
0: would be definitely dogs, yeah. And I, I just imagine that because cats have less cancer, that you that there isn't a lot of money out there or a lot of interest in pursuing digging into the kinds of cancer cats get because there is less of it.
1: I mean, there is there's interest in some. Don't get me and wrong. You know, there's cats still get certain cancers. They also get mammary cancer. Yes, uh, they do. And that you know, and that could be quite pretty serious in them. So there's a concern there too. Um, so I guess in the ideal world we'd be evaluating all of these to the same extent, it, um, but here we are particularly interested in the dogs
0: because they get more of it. Well, it's going to be really interesting the results that you come up with. When do you? How long do you think this epidemiologist and your whole Vet Compass project will have to look and dig and and add? And subtract to come up with some, I guess, recommendations or suggestions for owners. Would it be a year, five years? Do you have a Do you have a kind of timeline?
1: Yeah, yeah, we do. Well, in mean, the first instance, the epidemiologist is a three year position, and so they'll they'll be coordinating things over that three years. But we have a, they'll be looking at a number of different projects as they go along, so that the idea is we can uh, publish, release results both for within the profession and for the owners. Uh, advising on different specific cancers as you go along. so yeah, you know, one,
0: two, three, et cetera. Nice. Yeah. well, that's good. and and then things will come out. and we've we've run out of time, but I imagine that the human side of cancer study and epidemiology will be peeking at what you're doing since dogs and humans, in many cancers get the same kind of cancers and can even be treated in similar ways. So, I'm hoping that this will help not only the pets, but some of their humans as well over time. I think what you're doing is wonderful. And I'm going to call you professor and doctor, no matter whether. <laughs> In England, sure. they just call you David Broadbelt And I say, that's professor, right. doctor, is yeah, right. wonderful. Thank you for yeah. using your years of devotion to animals and to science <laughs> to, to help them all. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for your time. Thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets children and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us the show's also underwritten by evermore pet food privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door they founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards Finally, we're supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big, hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable Magic Fabric Pet Throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture, letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com.